Greetings and welcome to episode 25 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, second technician, Fozzer Forrester, and I'd like to welcome you all, dear listeners, to 2014, the year that we have all been waiting for, the year that from now on shall be referred to as the Dangerous Year. Okay, well, maybe not, but still, barring some sort of natural disaster affecting the Cambridge area of the UK, by the end of this year, we should all be well on our way to becoming Elite. On this episode, we will be reflecting on the current 1.1 Alpha. We will be picking over the bones of the current DDF topic, which is salvaging in the Elite Dangerous universe. We have a special interview with Commander Fantastic, Dan Grubb from Fantastic Book Publishing. He'll be here to discuss the success of the latest Elite Kickstarter campaign. Listen out for the Lay Radio exclusive announcement on that one. And we will have the Peak of the Week, Community Corner, Listener Questions, and indeed shout-outs. I'm delighted to say that for the first show of the new year, we have the full crew on the Sidewinder. So having hung up his Grinch outfit for another year, we have Lave Station Commander, Mr. Alan Stroud. Cheers, Foz. <laughs> the outfit's gone, but the temperament's still there. That's nice to hear. And also joining us uh, with an introduction that I've just been banned from announcing on air, the station's Chief of Operations, Mr. John Stabler. Hi there. And finally, the man who has kissed goodbye to free time, the soon-to-be-very-busy Head of Station Entertainment, Mr. Christopher Jarvis. Hello. Well, welcome, folks, and Happy New Year. Now, I'm going to ask you all how your festive periods went, but specifically I want to know what was your most significant Christmas present and also your most bizarre or your funniest Christmas present. Uh, John, why don't you start us off? Um, I didn't do a lot of overindulging simply because, um, I, I don't know, I just didn't drink a lot of alcohol. I, I received a bottle of whiskey for Christmas um, and it's still half full. And as far as presents go, I had my Christmas present early. I had a new PC. Uh, so, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of stuff to unwrap on Christmas Day. But the Christmas period's been great. My, my son's three, and he's kind of, this year he's kind of got into it more, and he, he's more aware of what's going on. So that was quite enjoyable, you know, getting to see him and wrap his presents and see the look of delight on his face before he throws it on the floor and then opens another <laughs> one. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's been really good. Uh, your most bizarre or funniest present? I didn't have anything bizarre. You must have got oh. a pair of funny socks or something. Come on, don't let the side down. No, no, I'm really sorry. But the, the thing is, people know what my face, you know, my, the look of disappointment on my face looks like because they see it so often. And so I've, got, I've always trained the people around me. Both me, my wife and the immediate family, we're all very pragmatic and we all give very useful gifts. And so what that usually means is that in the weeks or months before Christmas, people, are, people ask, right, what do you want? And the good thing is you can tell them and that's what you actually get. So some people would say, oh, that sounds, you know, boring. But, you know, it, it makes for a good Christmas for me. Right. Fair enough. Well, apart from your PC, then, what was the present you were most happy with? Um, let me see. Oh, no, I was really happy with the PC. Honestly, I, well, I, oh, OK, I tell you what, I've still got one present, which I haven't yet, because technically I was meant to get an Oculus Rift for Christmas. The, the money's put aside for it in a way. So that's the present that I can't wait to get my hands on. Um, but it looks like I'm not, not, I'm not going to see that till the end of the year. Well, I was going to say, you're, 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 asking if, you're asking for it at the wrong Christmas, mate, because according to the BBC News site, the Oculus Rift is due for commercial release 2014 end of or beginning of 2015. Yeah, the thing is, some of the speculation was that it was going to be, you know, quarter one, quarter two, 2014 but what with um ces this now it's you know it looks like it has been delayed although they did bring out a new model with some head tracking and stuff and and if that makes it into the final consumer version all the better yeah no absolutely okay then we'll leave you and go on to mr stroud happy new year mate what'd you get 
Ah, oh, Happy New Year. It was an interesting Christmas in that um, this is probably the first Christmas for a few Christmases where I didn't have one sort of main thing that I kind of went, oh, yeah, yeah, I really need to really need to get that because I'm working on this and I really need to get that and working on that. Unlike John, I really like Christmas to be about having something sort of a bit frivolous, you know, not necessarily as quite as functional and practical, perhaps. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, he's wrong, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of I tend to be the big kid in the house, as it were. So this year... This year was was a board games year. So basically, I got boatloads of board games, which is great. We we typically Karen and I typically tour around doing all the the parents and people and uh, and different families. So we we were uh, driving all over the place over the uh, over the Christmas period. And um, it's always really good when you've got something that you're going to go and see sort of family and friends with, and you can go and play. You know, really good cool new board games so uh yeah a couple of friends coming down on saturday as well who are going to play one of my uh one of my board games uh that i got for christmas as well so so that'd be really good played one last weekend which was really cool played some others when we we're away you know really really good stuff so so yeah okay right well you mentioned board games but i'm i'm guessing this isn't your standard trivial pursuit or, or monopoly fair no zombie side core worlds which is a really really intense sort of science fiction five player tactical strategy game the horus heresy which is the two-player warhammer game about the the, the civil war the i want us to get battles of westeros which is the war game version of of game of thrones yeah you know just 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 quite a few other little bits and pieces that uh, that were sort of around that Crikey. And I've got very little experience with board games. And you know, my last dalliance with that was Warhammer back when I was still at school. So what sort of time do you have to invest into these sort of board games? Uh, it depends. Um, you know, we played, uh, uh, one of my friends came around at the weekend, we played um, uh, Battles of Westeros sort of around one of the scenarios. And uh, that lasted us pretty much, you know, an afternoon. We, we just sort of took some time to, to set it all up, then went for lunch, then came back and played it. And that, that took us an afternoon, so that was fine. But um, the game I've always wanted to play, and I've had for five or six years ago, for Christmas five or six years ago, and I've never played it. I have Twilight Imperium, and anybody that knows board games knows that Twilight Imperium is the most intense board game you will ever play in your life. You have to give away a weekend to play Twilight Imperium. Really? So yeah, it's 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 a science fiction intergalactic war over over galactic you know over a galactic empire over the remains of a, a galactic empire for six players with all of the the little ship models and everything it's it's you know and tech trees and everything it's it's an incredible board game but uh, yeah it's been sat in a box for a long long time it will be very very uh, uh very cool when i get a chance to play it no john it's nothing like twilight no. <laughs> I just thought they'd open the franchise no, to sparkly vampires. No, I saw. no, John, nothing like it. It really isn't. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, at some point when uh, when we get some time, when we actually meet up and don't attract a crowd, then um, I'll get you guys to uh, to have a game of it. It'd be very good. Um, you really enjoy it. Okay, and uh, your most amusing or funniest present. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a confession here. Okay, and this everybody who buys me presents at Christmas knows this. I have a problem about Maltesers. <laughs> right. When people buy me Maltesers, when I start a packet of Maltesers, I can't can't leave it. I have to finish it, and I eat them really fast. So even you know, some years people have bought me, you know, like the buckets of yeah. Maltesers, and I will literally sit there and just... Oh man, that's just gross. A bucket of Maltesers, <laughs> and the thing that I've I've discovered 
is that um, if you have a cup of tea while you are eating Maltesers, the cup of tea resets your palate because the chocolate kind of builds up and gradually you can't taste it and it kind of, you know, you just can't. But tea resets your palate and then you can carry on eating Maltesers. So, yeah. I will, so, I will say tea with chocolate is amazing. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I got quite a lot of Maltesers and they disappeared quite quickly. Okay. As fine. in, as that, in, in well, yeah, that's fine. seconds. That's, <laughs> that ticks the box for the most bizarre uh, story about Christmas presents I think we're going to have. Okay, well, we'll move on to, uh, well, let's just leave Alan's uh, Malteser fetish there for a time being and move on to Jarvis. What have you been up to, mate? How was your Christmas? Uh, yeah, it was really nice. It was good, albeit slightly marred by a um, gum infection, which saw me have to go and get an emergency dental appointment and take antibiotics and all that really exciting stuff. But yeah, no, Christmas was nice. And your best present and your funniest present, sir? Ah. Well, I suppose funniest present really was, you know, sort of opening, being given presents and opening it. And it's a, you know, it's a book with brightly coloured pictures that say, where is my nose or something like that. So, you know, obviously having had Eden, you know, people were very excited to have Eden around Christmas. We were very excited to have Eden around Christmas. Uh, and we, you know, you know, we just got a lot of great stuff for her. And some of it, you know, is just bizarre. But, you know, bizarre but nice. <laughs> okay, then. And what about your most significant present? Yeah, it was weird. I, I think because a lot of the stuff... Let's say that a lot of present giving was focused on Eden this year, but um, uh, it was really nice. My folks that obviously kind of tuned into the fact that this Kickstarter was going on and that it was very important to me, so they kind of said, You know, do you just want some money to kind of put into the Kickstarter? And I said, That'd be very nice. That was really good. I don't know, from your point of view, uh, I got GTA 5. So at some point, probably June. I'll join in. <laughs> yeah, I think actually, <laughs> even though we've been uh, we've been banging the GTA drum for quite some time for you to come and join the uh, the elite dangerous uh, GTA crew. Uh, now that you've got so much work going on, I think we actually now need to ban you from GTA yeah. if the elite community are ever actually going to see any of the content that they want to see. So uh, it's great that you've got it, mate, and we will quite happily see you in June or July when you're going to have enough time to actually play it. Yeah. Cheers. Well, from uh, from my point of view, I think. Uh, my most significant present i was very fortunate uh, all the family club together and got me a playstation 4 which is a beautiful black box with uh, very few games to play on it at the moment which i've got what have i got i've got marvel um i've got lego marvel uh which is a fantastic game but obviously just exactly the same as on all the other consoles so uh i'm glad i got it it's a fantastic machine uh, but it's more of a sort of a future purchase than uh, than a christmas morning purchase if i'm honest uh, i should say i should say banging the fanboy drum that one once again, Sony have stolen, you know, one of Nintendo's marketing ideas, which is, of course, a year ago, Nintendo made the brilliant step of bringing out a new console and not releasing any games for it. <laughs> and Sony have obviously thought, wow, Nintendo are doing it. We need to do the same thing. We need to bring out a console and have absolutely no games available to play on it. Well, fingers crossed that the, uh, I was going to say, fingers <laughs> crossed the console's a little bit more successful than the Wii U, um, yeah. which... I, I can't honestly see being around for much longer, especially if they decide to continue not releasing games for it. I'm just really impressed that I looked online and saw that um, Putty Squad was a launch title. Because uh, that was when I, when I was a teenager and I got my Amiga 500. Putty was the first game I got for it. So it's anyway, sorry. No, that's quite right. Um, in fact, uh, the fact I got a PlayStation 4 actually helps us out because uh, one of the questions we got over Christmas was from uh, 
Mark Percox uh, on Twitter, who was asking whether or not the uh, PlayStation 4 controller was going to be compatible with uh, the Elite Dangerous uh, Alpha. And I can reveal that absolutely not. The PlayStation 4 controller at the moment is not native to Windows, even though there was quite a bit of uh, speculation that you were just going to be able to plug and play with it. Uh, it's certainly not supported under Windows. Uh, so at the moment, not really uh, worth bothering about with the Alpha. But uh, yeah, potentially that will come a little bit later down the line. Uh, my most bizarre present, or my funniest present, uh, came from my wife, and it was a uh, an ice cube mold that allowed you to create a large ice cube in the shape of the Death Star, uh, something around about the size of a racquetball, uh, which is phenomenal and works perfectly every single time. So uh, that's been great fun to play with, and have happened many, many. I don't know. It's almost um, it's almost sacrilegious, but I've had quite a few whiskies. Um, with the Death Star in it, but uh, it doesn't half water down your single malt to have a Death Star ice cube the size of a racquetball sitting in your glass, but great fun nonetheless. So this is why you chose this icebreaker, because you, oh, you got a funny good. present. <laughs> so you thought, I know, I'll ask everyone what funny present, and other people didn't get funny presents. Everybody should get at least one funny present. Everybody should have a Christmas <laughs> stocking, and everybody should have at least one funny present. I mean, that, that's just the top funny present for me. I also got uh, a, a box of um, balloons, and a video and booklet to teach me how to make animal balloons. So I had a great Christmas morning making uh, sausage dogs. Yeah, sausage dogs. You find yourself an animal and blow into it. Uh, No, that's more the sort of thing they do in Nuneaton, mate. Not so much the... uh... So now I got all sorts of bizarre stuff, but the Ice Cube one was definitely the best one. Let's go straight on then and crack on with the episode. Well, our first topic this week is going to be our reflections on Alpha 1.1. Now, I'm guessing that uh, we're recording this on Thursday. The community has been crying out for another Alpha release. And depending on how quickly we get this thing turned around, we're probably going to be on another edition of the Alpha by the time you guys are listening to this. So this is reflections on the latest one that we're playing, which is Alpha 1.1, which is the one that we did our Christmas show on. Uh, Obviously, we've now had a little bit more time to play it. Uh, Folks, what do you reckon? Uh, Any more startling discoveries on it? Alan, let's start with you. Since the uh, Christmas episode, you've obviously had a little bit more time to play the alpha. Any other revelations? Not really. I think, actually, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'll, I'll share a confession with you. I haven't had much more time to play the alpha. There is that much going on with all the different projects that, uh, that I've been up to over the Christmas period that I've had very little time on the alpha. Um, I managed to get a little bit more time just at the start of the week because I got a new joystick. And uh, I thought, oh, great, you know, I'll go have a play and, and sort of see how, uh, see how this works. And uh, I was rubbish. I'd, uh, I'd basically, I'd played during the, uh, you know, d- during the sort of the, the early part when, uh, when the Alpha first came out, played through, did some stuff and uh, did really well, got through the missions and, you know, was sort of on the last two missions as it were. And then uh, got this new joystick, Logitech Attack 3, and plugged it in, set it all up. And I'd had two or three weeks off from not playing the Alpha and suddenly I'm rubbish. So I unplugged the joystick, put the old joystick back in, and I'm still rubbish. Ah, I was going to say, is so, that because of the new hardware, or is it just literally no, because you're out of practice? It's 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 because I'm out of practice. So saying this to John um, the other day, I think actually the thing is with you know with the game is that sort of now the dust has settled a little bit from the initial excitement. I think that the control method, certainly for me, you know, it might be different for for other people, but the control method for me is one that. I need to continually do so that I, you know, I kind of get it, as it were. It's not what I can just pick up and just get on. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, I'm going to have to either continually play or be aware that I'm going to be rusty at, at given times. And it's, it's mostly down to, down to targeting. You know, I'm finding targeting quite hard, which um, Colin Ford will be absolutely delighted about. <laughs> I take it the vendetta between you and Colin is still running, uh, running well, strong, he- is it? 
Well, it doesn't matter, does it? He'll, he'll be delighted now in that, uh, you know, I, I suddenly I've, I'm rubbish. So I, I probably am exactly what he says. I'm <laughs> unable to hear anything other than crash into an asteroid. <sighs> Christmas Day. Finally. I have the finest rehydrated festive meal the station has to offer. A warming glass of Lavian brandy. and the station is closed for the holiday. Nobody out there to break any vending. Attention, attention. Second technician Forrester to the gaming lounge. Second technician Forrester to the gaming lounge. The vending machine is broken. The vending machine is broken. You have got to be kidding. Hi mate, you working? Thought you were planning on settling down in front of the screen watching old Zero Gs. That was the plan, but some joker thought it would be funny to reverse the grav flow on the toilets in the South Village. People are expecting to flush their festive indulgences and are getting quite a shock instead. You plan to get plastered this time of year, not be plastered. Yuck. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess out there. Chief, Chief is spreading. We just had a call from Carebears, the retirement home for ex-merchants. It's so serious. I gotta go. Merry Christmas, mate. Try and stay out of trouble till New Year. Okay, John, are you still crashing into asteroids? I, well, like Alan, I haven't had much time to, to play. What little time I have, actually, I, I've made a conscious decision, you know, to play other games, actually. And that's not a, that's not saying that um, I, I think it's rubbish or anything, but I, I think, well, as I, I've said to Alan before, you know, it, it's a, a single-player versus AI. Um, and, and combat, for me, wasn't the main thing about uh, Frontier anyway. I was just really happy that it's a lot better in Elite Dangerous than it was in Frontier. But really, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for me to get excited about any alpha build until they add something like, you know, at least multiplayer or, you know, some other stuff to do, like, you know, docking or, or trading or something like that. In the Christmas episode, mate, you mentioned about trying it out on your 3D TV. Have you had a chance to explore any uh, any of that anymore? Any more other 3D aspects? I'd love to have had a Rift as well, just to try that. But I've played it on on the TV plenty uh, the three, in 3D, and it is good. Uh, as I said before, it's good that they've got native support. But I, I've struggled in the past with watching films and playing other 3D games. I think I played um, Call of Duty Black Ops in 3D, and I found it really hard going. But I didn't have that discomfort while playing uh, Elite Dangerous. Uh, I think that's probably because of the simplicity of it, really, because the, the cockpit is the standout 3D thing. But everything else, because it's so much further away you know there's not so much depth to deal with some people have complained about that saying that it looks flat whereas i think it probably just looks realistic more than anything but i found yeah I, i've been i've been quite impressed with how easy it is to play in 3d uh, and and i ordered a pair of the anaglyph 3d glasses as well just to give that a go to see how much better the normal 3d mode is and the anaglyph is quite impressive considering you know it's it's not a perfect technology. You lose a lot of kind of color information when you're using it. But one odd thing that I noticed about the anaglyph is the frame rate is worse. Oh, uh, really? With the anaglyph than 3D. I mean, with the 3D, you've got to render th- things twice. But with the anaglyph, I take it there's some kind of processing 
you know, which is a bit more, you know, it just requires a bit more juice than just rendering things twice. So um, I'm guessing the two frames have to be then blended together, um, mm. which is obviously just an additional bit of work. That, that was an eye-opener, actually, because I, I, for some reason I was under the impression that the anaglyph, you know, it won't affect the frame rate as much as rendering it twice, but I was wrong. But it's, as I said, um, it was quite impressive considering the limited nature of the technology. And Chris, what about you? Yeah, it was just an opportunity to kind of go back through the alpha and and sort of look at some of the stuff that when we did the last recording, that was some of it we were kind of, you know, trying to remember a little bit and just going back through and just noticing odd things. Certainly, I noticed the automatic tracking on the weapons much more, you know, with repeated plays, particularly, funny enough, on the auto cannons, uh, I suddenly noticed that the point my autocannons seem to be firing at, seem to be jumping all over the place. Um, I don't know if that's a change in the 1.1 or if that's just because I started noticing it. From my point of view, the uh, I've had actually quite a bit more time to play the uh, the Alpha 1.1 uh, experience, and I have to say I still haven't managed to get past Wave 7 of uh, Incursions. I'm absolutely rubbish, and I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated with myself. Uh, I don't know if it's just that's, you know, that's my level of um, combat level or what, uh, or maybe there isn't anything after Wave 7. Who knows? Uh, but I just cannot get past that. I've tried time and time again. I will say some of the track IR stuff that's been out there, uh, Grant PsychoCal from the forums has done quite a few really nice videos showing how track IR works quite well within the, the alpha environment for looking around your cockpit and, and controlling the ship. And also uh, Crash, who actually has got uh, an Oculus Rift, has done some videos showing that as well. So it's been quite interesting to see how those particular peripherals affect the, the gameplay. Um, aside from that, we've had quite a few people arriving new to the forums that have been playing the alpha for the first time, haven't been on the forums before, and uh, that seems to have provoked quite a lot of, um, well, heated debate maybe, should we say, on the forums. That's been great, because um, you know it was getting to the stage where I, I, I think everybody was just taking a break, because you know, it was just the same people and the same conversations. So having the new people is good. I think we already mentioned that some other forums might have been a, a bit less accepting of new people coming along and asking the same questions that probably we'd heard from the Kickstarter. But as I said, uh, Frontier community is awesome. But the one thing I have heard apparently is Michael Brooks is just waiting for two more threads um, asking when the next alpha is and then they're actually going to release it. Oh, excellent. Hold on two seconds whilst I jump online. Hold on. <laughs> I'm... Alan, um, you had uh, you had quite a bit to uh, to talk about in the uh, in the pre-recording about the the influx of people coming on uh, with the release of Alpha. What's your take on it all? I think it's it's just a bit tricky, really, in that um, we've got these you know this large influx of people, and um, which is great, and you know, and I'm I'm very you know sort of welcoming of uh, of large influx of people, but it is something that when you you go on there and you kind of see the same things being discussed which you thought you'd already sorted out and everyone had kind of discussed and you know and accepted the way in which things were going to go and then suddenly someone else starts a campaign to have something changed the way in which you know it was said before or somebody says i think this and you sit there going yeah but that was said x amount of months ago and of course those individuals don't know that you know and they they, they kind of don't you know don't have that experience and it's not their fault they don't have that experience. They just, you know, they just weren't there. But it does get a little tiresome sometimes for, you know, for people who've been in those discussions to sort of repeat those discussions, as it were. And I, I think that's a difficult situation for the community. I think it's difficult for us to, you know, to to solve and to find a best way of approaching it. I think people have been very tolerant so far on both sides. What I don't like is, you know, I've seen some forums where there is, a, you know, an obvious aggressive tendency to try and get rid of people who, what you're talking about, we've already discussed that, you know, and, and very, you know, very sort of aggressive 
welcome, as it were, a very sort of anti-welcome. So I kind of think, you know, there's there's a, a need for a bit of a middle ground. And I think that's sort of needed amongst people who are coming in. And it's also needed amongst, you know, people who are kind of already there, possibly in the welcome, you know, because I noticed the moderators are incredibly good at saying hello to anybody who, you know, who comes in. It might be worth having something that's almost like a, a standard script, you know, park yourself down. Uh, if you've got anything to, to look at, go and read this, go and read this, you know, and, and a couple of things, get yourself up to speed and then uh, come and, uh, and bring us your, your fresh new ideas. But make sure they are really fresh new ideas, hey? <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I think a lot of it is to do with the limitation of the, you know, the forum structure. There is a massive amount of information on those forums, mm-hmm. but it's just so difficult to get to. And also, you can't really expect every new person to come along. I mean, even if you stickied it or you know made it part of the T's and C's, you can't force people to go and read through the DDF archive. Um, and I'm not just talking about the proposals, but the, the the discussions afterwards. Because as Alan said, you know, people have been coming along. They're saying, no, no, we should change this to this, even though as part of previous discussions the developers have said no we're doing it this way and here's the reasons and everyone's accepted that but that information is so buried you know i feel sorry for the kind samaritans who are trying to dig out that information for other people and post a link to it really no i do agree and also yeah i think we've just got to you know try and get the message out there that we just need a little bit of tolerance on both sides as alan says yeah the fantastic thing about the elite dangerous uh, project is more than anything else it's, it's the community that's built up around it so let's not lose that uh, let's try and you know, keep on welcoming the people that are coming in uh, fresh to the forums. Uh, where we can, guide them to the, the posts and the discussions that they're, you know, they're interested in. And uh, yeah, just try and, keep it, uh, try and keep it friendly and try not to get frustrated with it all. I don't want to put a downer on everyone, but I, I think it's <laughs> probably it going to get, gonna get worse before it gets better. You swine. No, I'm literally just about to segue into talking about the development cycle and how it's going to get better. Uh, it's going to no, get no, worse no, before I, it gets better. Well, I was going to say the beta totally. is going to exactly. see another influx. <laughs> okay. I agree with John totally because I think one of the things I've noticed on the forums is that when the Kickstarter first finished and the and I was first coming onto the forums, you just sort of get people you'd get this sort of sense of entitlement that modern gamers have that's familiar on a lot of gaming forums. If you go on, there's a lot of people saying, well, I want this. I think it should be like this. I'm going to leave the forums if they don't change the game to be like this. And over time, over the last few months, we've actually seen the forums change into quite a nice kind of friendly place where people don't really have that sort of broadcast sense of entitlement. And I don't know whether that's because the people who had a tendency to throw their toys out the pram did then leave or whether people over time have just kind of mellowed because they've seen the game developing and that's been rewarding. What's frustrating is that with a, with a whole rash of new people coming in, and some of whom are very nice, I should say, um, but that almost that kind of sense of entitlement that you feel among gamers these days has started to grow again. And I can't help thinking that when we do move into beta stage and when we do move into the final release, the, the, the game world that we love is going to be flooded with people with this sense of entitlement. You know, some of whom are coming in and saying that they're raising questions about the fundamental mental design of the game they're like physics-based flight model no i don't think it should be like that at all kind of thing <laughs> and you just think well there comes a point i mean no one wants to turn customers away 
But I think generally speaking, I mean, there was a great interview with um, David Braben uh, on Edge's website the other day. And he's saying, you know, at the end of the day, we're making the game, we're making it the way we want to make it. And this is the game we're making kind of thing. And in a funny sort of way, a lot of these people that are coming onto the forums and disagreeing with the design decisions that have been made should probably be looking to another space game to get their fix. One of the things that was mentioned in this Edge article, sort of in the editorial, is that having had such a long gap in the market since there was anything like Elite available to play, suddenly this year there's actually quite a few. And an Elite is trying to do a very particular thing and trying to harness a very particular style that harks back to the original. And if you don't like the way it plays, it, it's not that Elite is somehow flawed. It's that you should go and play a different game. Yeah, and I think uh, fundamentally, you know, when you, you know, people people relate experience, don't they? You know, they look at something and judge it by something else, and that's what that's what adults do. Children have this this better sense of wonder. They have this, you know, ability to to sort of judge something just on its merits and sort of see it for its possibility. Whereas adults, a lot of the time, as I say, you know, do sort of judge it based on what else they've uh, they've experienced. And I think there is a case of that here. And I think actually, what you know, what we're part of sort of covering the development of is something that is very different to everything that's prior to it you know you can kind of say oh well like like eve or oh well like this and like that well actually you know it, it's got a bit of a few of those things but it, it's got its own you know very much its own identity i think you're i think you're right in that um i am going to say though we we do have to make sure that we we you know we add some some language to uh you know to educate people in the forums about what this you know this this sort of this procedure is called when people come in and um they they throw all their toys on the floor and say they the game has to be like this or they get het up about something and they storm out of the forum saying they're they're not coming back and then they do come back it's called flouncing now we call this flouncing uh people do flounce out and then the minute anyone replies to what they've said they flounce back in again just to, to get the the last word um you do see it happen to be honest you know i've invested a huge amount of time and a huge amount of work in this game over the last year but do i take it that seriously as in that seriously to get you know really really irritating really really sort of toys out the pram serious no and people that know me know i'm a grumpy bastard but i don't take it that seriously <laughs> I, I think to kind of sum up what what you said there is basically there's people coming along who are saying this game isn't star citizen um and and they don't realize that why, why that isn't really a, a sensible thing to say this is going to be frontiers game and it has to be different because you know otherwise we're just going to have Another X rebirth, perhaps. Oh, let's hope not. Yeah. No, I mean it was interesting. Chris, been talking about the the Edge editorial. Uh, they made a good point in the fact that you know this is the space sim that launched all space sims, and after there's been such a gulf in the market with no space sims being released for such a long time, the one that starts it off is coming back and relaunching, and yet actually they're having to um, you know they're having to actually fight for their place uh, against the likes of Star Citizens, yeah, and some of the other ones that are coming out. It's actually going to be a very very busy marketplace when these things come to launch. So. Uh, but things do need to be different. They can't all be the same game. Well, I mean, talking about the fact that we've got all these new people coming on the forums with the alpha, we've got even more waiting in the wings for the beta. Now, what do we think about the development schedule for uh, for the alpha and the beta? Do we, how long do we think we've got left in the alpha? When do we reckon that Frontier Developments are going to start bringing out the beta's testing? I, I think the, the situation with the beta schedule has always been fairly flexible, and Michael has said that quite clearly um, several times on the forums. Unfortunately, I think we have had a new influx of people uh, from the, the release of the alpha and the change to the storefront, and I think some of those people are seeing dates 
And certainly, I think there have been a couple of threads recently where people are saying, oh, when's it going to get to the beta? I hope the beta doesn't slip. Actually, Michael has said quite clearly, this is the date for the alpha, and then everything else is dependent on us getting through the alpha program as, you know, we need to get through the alpha schedule. Now, that's that's the way it's got to be, to be honest. And, you know, whether that, um, you know, that, that sort of brings the beta guys in at an earlier stage or brings the beta guys in a later stage. It's got to be that way, you know, because that is the, the schedule that, um, that they've got lined up. And it's not a schedule of time. It's got to be a schedule of quality. And that's part of the, you know, the, the flexibility that they have by crowdsourcing the amount of money that they've done. Um, they have the, you know, the, the, the wherewithal and the, the means within them to manage without a game developer. And by doing that, they're not bound by a restriction of, of having to get something at a particular time in, uh, in that sort of game development process. Now, if the Kickstarter backers or the, the beta testers or you know, other pledgers effectively start sort of lobbying to take the place of the game developer by rushing the situation, I don't think that's going to be good for anybody. Yeah, and what people obviously don't forget is, you know, as far as the Kickstarter was concerned, you know, all the dates had the word estimated in front of them. And just because you don't hit that date, you know, it doesn't make it a failure. It was just an estimate after all. I can understand people, obviously, they they just really, really want the game. And and that really shows. But I I think people just need to just chill out a bit. Sorry that uh, you, you don't have the alpha or whatever, and that maybe looking at YouTube videos isn't giving you the fix that you require, but just be a little bit more patient. (laughs) of course we can say that having alpha access i can imagine it's very 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 frustrating and very i'd be very jealous if i didn't have uh, alpha access at all the you know the video footage and stuff that's going on because pretty much everybody's coming back and being very positive and saying you know how much fun the alpha actually is so i can't blame them for wanting to get in no absolutely absolutely i completely agree with you there and you know we're incredibly privileged you know we are a team of uh, of people who've you know put an awful lot of effort in in terms of you know trying to keep the community involved and everything else but it doesn't disguise from the fact that we are incredibly privileged to you know to to get back into the elite universe at the time that we've been able to get back into the elite universe with the alpha access but the the sort of the 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 top of the pyramid really has to be respect to frontier frontier have got their schedule let's trust it you know because we have trusted it for x amount of years let's trust it you know let's trust what they're doing yeah, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, quality has to come through. And speaking about quality, it's quite a nice segue to talk about the uh, the peak of the week this week, which is uh, the concept art of a city in space. And this has been a fantastic picture. Again, it's it's only concept art. It's not done with the in-game engine, but it shows where Frontier developments are trying to take the, the universe and you know, what sort of a rich tapestry they're trying to create in terms of the different landscapes and different sort of scenarios and settings that we can expect to see. Uh, I would say that along with the, the peak of the week, I thought the, the actual description of the image was actually quite uh, quite special as well. Chris, can you read that out? It says, here's some concept of a city in space. All the orbital objects are kept aligned towards the distant but highly radioactive neutron star, stellar companion of the bright star to the right of the image. Each object has heavy shielding, both powered and physical, in this direction to protect their delicate human occupants with the rest of the object in the radiation shadow of that shielding. Many of the objects rotate independently to give some level of artificial gravity with the large ring rotating very slowly. So again, I mean, if you haven't checked out Peak of the Week this week, have a look at it. Uh, It just goes to show you what sort of level of detail Frontier Developments are, are planning with this game and if they can get that sort of level of detail actually in the game running in the game engine there's going to be some phenomenal environments for us to go and explore do you guys agree with that 
the one thing I was going to say is that um, I've spent some time on the Star Citizen forums just checking out people's reactions to the alpha, you know, and getting a feel for the two communities. And, and one of the interesting things was how they're kind of pitting Star Citizen as this game with, you know, a huge amount of depth content created by you know developers and and, and designers whereas uh, you know elite dangerous is going to be proce- you know all procedurally generated and you know it's going to be bigger but does that necessarily mean it's going to have the same amount of depth to it but it's these kind of concepts that make you think that it certainly could have that amount of depth because you know they're thinking of these great concepts you know you can enter a system and if it's got a neutron star you you're going to find these kind of cities are aligned in this way and it's it's going to mean that systems look different not just from you know a physical the stars and, and the planet's point of view but also how humans have populated the systems and if that can be conveyed in a meaningful manner then then that adds the depth to the game that uh, people obviously think that isn't going to be there yes completely it's going to be exciting obviously at the moment we've only seen the alpha but it'll be interesting to see what sort of level of detail we see in the uh, the beta release and in the gamma release in terms of those sort of range of environments exciting stuff anyway and talking about other exciting stuff and don't go but we're going to move on to the ddf topic and that of salvaging in elite dangerous which i personally am getting quite excited about salvaging um they've made it uh, quite like mining um now i can see why they've done this and it's a bit of a surprise to be honest they're trying to say that mining is done with uh, sorry salvage is done with mining equipment uh and and that's quite interesting in a way because uh, first of all you get to reuse equipment that you'd be using for other purposes but also it means that the implementation of it in the game is a little bit simpler um, from the development point of view because if if you were a cynic you 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 might see this uh, ddf topic as well hang on how come they're only asking us about this now you know how f- far behind are they with the game but the way that they're representing it, it it's it's going to be done in a way which is very similar to mining so that it's not going to take too much effort to actually implement it so the interesting things is um you know once a ship is has been disabled or partially destroyed or the pilot's gone or you might come across a ship in space you're going to have this husk which is going to be uh, mostly scrap metal and they wanted to be quite clear on the outset that it's going to be different from floating inventory that's been you know spilled out of ships and things like that they're just talking about you know the husk of the ship that's that's floating so there's not going to be you know a lot of canisters floating around necessarily because they've probably been picked up already but what they are trying to say is that you're going to have this husk um, which does have some useful materials to it, you know, such as metals uh, and other scrap resources, which you will be able to effectively mine with, you know, similar equipment, if not the same equipment. The interesting thing about it is that uh, they've got this concept of salvaging rights. And so if you do come across a ship, I take it in a, in a populated system rather than um, somewhere where there's no um, government or whatever. If you're salvaging without permission, then obviously that's a crime. And whatever you salvage from it is treated as stolen goods. Apparently, you can get permits from the local authorities to go and um, get some salvage. And no doubt this will feed into the mission system. You know, when, when you're you know, first starting out, I dare say that uh, it'll be a mission offered to you by the local government if you want to go out and tidy up. Uh, the you know the orbit of a planet or something like that. So apparently salvage has uh, generally low value, probably because obviously it's it's been destroyed and so it's it's not in pristine condition. So the chances are you're going to be salvaging effectively like a raw material. Although they 
have said that, that you know there's going to be a chance that you might find something useful on board. Um, they haven't gone into too much discussion over what that may be. I mean, are you going to be able to pull off a working beam laser and, and just stick it straight into your Cobra? We don't know. But they're, they're basically saying that it, it, it's a kind of a, a chance encounter where you can make a bit of money. And they've also said that you're going to need some canisters, uh, empty canisters, now, this has been mentioned in previous DDFs, or it was certainly mentioned in the discussion afterwards. You know, should people need empty canisters to scoop, um, for instance, gases or, or other things from planets? And they're, and they're kind of reaffirming that, that you need some empty storage to actually carry it in. Now, apparently you weren't too happy with this, Foz. No, there's a few things, actually, with the, the salvaging uh, DDF that I wasn't overly happy with, because... <laughs> As you say, it sounds more like the sort of thing where you could be a little bit opportunistic, more for sort of chance encounters. You use the same equipment, basically the same scanner, the same mining lasers as you would for your standard mining. I had in my head that the salvaging was going to be a little bit more of a, you know, a sort of a complete uh, career path. So you would have specific, um, you know, scanning equipment for it. You'd have specific cutting lasers uh, that gave you a higher chance of being able to salvage some, you know, some useful components or materials from the ships. I didn't like the idea that we have to carry around empty cargo canisters in order to be able to take stuff back that we find in space that just seems a little bit i don't know clunky i mean what happens if you get the you know the ultimate find and you've suddenly run out of cargo can, uh, cargo canisters it just it just seems like it's a little bit um it sort of breaks the moment a bit it happens in pokemon you might come across the most amazing pokemon if you haven't got a spare ball to throw out of luck yeah. It's a tried and tested mechanic. Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I just don't like the idea of being sort of limited by how many empty canisters I carry around the universe. It just seems. Yeah, it doesn't seem a very elegant solution to it. I mean, surely we can sort of flat pack uh, the materials to make cargo canisters and keep them, you know, as part of your hull. So if you need to spout out a new cargo canister, you can. Have you been um, watching Amazing Spaces? No, I haven't. <laughs> these Why? empty cargo canisters that can be sort of broken down and slotted into the small space of your ship as, as handy wooden furniture or something. No, but surely it's, it's not without the realms of possibility. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, flat pack cardboard boxes. I'm sure we'll be able to get something where you can sort of just construct a cargo canister, as long as it's just for carrying around sort of bits of metal and stuff. You know, as long as you're not trying to do anything clever like carry live animals in it or inert gases or anything like that. It, but is the implication here not, not that actually... To be a miner, you might actually need empty cargo containers to, to ship minerals around. Is this something that maybe that has now occurred to them that might Quite actually possibly. be added to the mining proposal? Quite possibly, but even then... Yeah, I don't think it's a game mechanic that you need to put in there. You know, if we were not worrying about sound in space, I don't think we really need to worry about carrying around empty boxes in our hull nor to be able to ship things home. Well, it kind of comes into part of the thing about uh, inertia, doesn't it? You know, I mean, if you've got lots of bits wandering around your hull and you're, you know, you're making turns and you're, you know, you're, you're moving your ship and everything else and they're not strapped down, it's going to happen. No, absolutely. I just don't, I don't really care about it enough. And they're I, all, you know, I and they're all handled automatically. <laughs> but they're all, so, you know, involved. they're all like razor sharp edges and, and stuff. You know, they're basically going to saw through most of the, you know, the, the things inside your, your hull, aren't they? Yeah. And they need to be strapped down. I just don't really want to get involved in the mechanics of how they're going to be strapped down. I just want it to auto-magically happen. Well, then cargo canisters. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to have to carry around empty cargo canisters. That's the you, thing. You, 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 you can't have both. Yeah, you can. It's a bit like playing no, a role-playing game. It's a bit like playing a role-playing game and saying, my archer, I don't want to have to go and buy arrows. I just want to no, take a bow. No, no, no. no. What I'm saying is I don't want to carry a quiver. That's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> John, what, what were you going to say? I was going to, you know, try and say something sensible about it. 
Um, oh, God. You know, <laughs> apart from you know, apart from Fozza, who you know sees something floating in space and says, "Oh, it's a, it's it's only junk. Deploy the cardboard box for it." <laughs> um, but no, um, seriously, I, I I don't know. I'm not completely against it because, right? First of all, you know, if miners are going to be carrying empty canisters anyway, then salvage becomes a kind of like an alternative source of income for them. So it kind of builds into the mining um, career path rather than making salvaging an entire career path. Now, Foz might be disappointed by that, but I look at it in terms of, I'm all for more careers, but at the same time, if you have too many careers and you force people to specialise a bit too much, then perhaps it will get a bit dull because if you've got to be really specialised for this one thing and you can't do another thing, then you could get bored of that quite quickly. But I seem to be seeing in this that the way that they're doing this canisters, that I think people are going to have spare canisters anyway because if your hydrogen fuel for your drive is going to be in canisters, when that fuel gets used up, you're going to have an empty canister. So I dare say that most people will have some empty canisters on hand anyway do we really think that's going to create an element of game you know, do we really want to be getting into the minutiae of how many empty boxes do i have in my cargo hold possibly because it kind of reinforces perhaps cooperative play and um, we were discussing before that you know miners can be more profitable if they work with someone else as in if they just they're mining away and they have someone come along and, and take take the ore off them and they can just carry on doing what they're doing well then someone can just come along with the empty canisters swap them for the full ones and so it kind of reinforces that cooperative element of the game yeah but i mean we we didn't have it in the original elite. If you were to cargo scoop something, if you didn't have enough just general capacity in your ship, you couldn't scoop it up. You know, same with the, you know, if you were scooping up from the sun. You know, if your ship didn't physically have the capacity, then you couldn't take it on board. Why not just keep it nice and simple and use it that way? Yeah, I think I think the the key element of it is is like you say whether or not it's a random encounter with a with a sort of the, the hulk of a wrecked vessel. I think if it's if it's purely a feature that's relying on the the minuscule chance of you coming across an abandoned or wrecked, you know, player husk in the course of your travels, then it's not really going to be a big part of the game or something that you can really build a career out of. It would be interesting, I think, if there was some way of, I don't know, being able to sweep for derelict vessels or, or just something that might draw your attention to them. I know John's saying that, you know, maybe maybe more specialism perhaps isn't so good. But I think actually one of the things I really liked about this proposal is it's the first element of the game that's come up in a number of months that I read it and I thought, oh, didn't think of that. And even within the context of looking at the elite fiction and the kind of the, the, the wider sort of atmospherics of the game, the idea of there being these crews kind of going around cutting up ghostly derelict hulks of ships to, to sell for scrap is a, it's a brilliant extra piece of texture for the elite universe and you're right it's not something that was in the original game and as i say it's not something that's even occurred to me up to this point and i don't know why because you know the opening of aliens begins with ripley's ship being found by a deep space salvage crew and it's cool deep space salvage is cool and i really hope that there's some way they can make this proposal into valid gameplay because i just think it's going to be amazing I, I, I was actually I was waiting for somebody to bring up a film analogy because I was actually going to give Foz um, a bit of backup. You know, I quite like the idea of a, a sort of almost like a firefly scenario, the kind of rundown, you know, freighter hold 
where you pack everything in and you you know and you have a bunch of scrap and you kind of sort through it and the way in which they you know they sort of go out and drag these these containers or or even just these bits and pieces in and they kind of look at them and decide whether they can use it or then throw it out and so on and so forth you know i like that idea and i think it's a very visceral image At the same time just written a book and in that book there is some stuff salvaged and there is some stuff transported and that stuff's in containers <laughs> and the reason it's in containers is it's locked off in um in sections that are you know are carefully sort of set up for inertia dampening so obviously someone who's who's alive who's being transported on a ship is not going to is going to need you know significant amount more comfort than some box that's being transported on a ship but they're still going to need to be in some kind of you know sort of booth or something else to preserve whatever is inside the you know the the package so that it's transported correctly and you know and i've i've sort of played around a little bit in some of my description with the difference between the two you know whether you're being stored in cargo or whether you're being stored in a you know a, a sort of a nice decent cabin and and so on and so forth and i think that's important and i think that actually it is a nice detail i agree with chris much as you know the cinematic element I can kind of see the firefly idea, but you know, this is the way they've gone. And, um, it's got some lovely, uh, it's got some lovely things to it. And it means as well, you can do the, the stuff from when we saw the wrecked anaconda right at the beginning of the elite dangerous Kickstarter. Yeah. You can do that kind of salvage operation and, and have all the cargo containers leaking out, you know, before you've even killed the ship, you've got the cargo containers leaking out and you can steal them and get away. What a great piece of, of gameplay that's going to be. You know, this ship's still fighting. It's still got lasers on. But you swoop in and you pick up two cargo containers and you're out of there. And it wasn't even your fight. You know, that would be really cool. No, absolutely. And yeah, some of the points I was thinking about on this particular topic, uh, one you were saying about you know, it's, it's very heavily at the moment linked into mining. Uh, in my head, it was much more linked into sort of the explorer role. You know, going out and finding you know old ruins or old wrecks or old derelicts. Uh, you know, using your scanner, scanning them down, and then uh, you know using a precise sort of cutting laser to get the best bits out of it. Uh, I also thought it'd be you know, quite an easy thing to incorporate into sort of the mission structure. They have said in the proposal that you know when you're salvaging away, it could be that you find rare and valuable materials which may be contained within the salvage chunk, uh, and also mission or you know event critical information can also be involved in the the salvage chunk i mean think of what sort of gameplay you might be able to get if you come across an imperial ship that's you know floating derelict and by salvaging it you can get enough evidence to find that it was actually taken down by a federal uh, capital ship and then selling that information back to the imperials uh, as part of a mission i think that would work really well the other thing that i was thinking uh, is the you know, this idea of jurisdiction which seemed to be a, a hot topic within the debate as well I was absolutely fine with the idea of areas around a space station or areas around any sort of civil structure or a big capital ship being sort of out of bounds for salvage because it makes sense in the elite universe that they would actually have their own you know, cleanup crews. They would have people you know, on the payroll to take up to salvage for that. But just in deep space or in the, the parts of the system that you can get to with the frameshift drive, I think basically if you can scan a husk, then that automatically assigns you salvaging rights. And if anybody else comes and salvages that particular ship, then that's when they get done for doing stolen goods. Stolen goods, that is actually your property because you scanned it down and had salvaging rights put onto it. And the final one that I was thinking about with this particular topic is, if we've seen the big sort of um, civil wars and space battles and stuff, how great would it be if you could actually, if you were a salvaging career guy, uh, to have a, a mission or a broadcast go out 
the battle's over, please go out, clear out the battlefield, and you know, the system will take a 2% fee of everything that you bring back. And I just think that there's a lots of you know, lots of possibility for this uh, particular role, and it just it just seems slightly that uh, it's being rushed out and linked too close to mining, possibly because they haven't got the time frame left before they release the game to actually do it any justice or you know to explore it in too much detail. The, the only the only ongoing point I had would have been really dull because I think the re- the reason you've got to have jurisdiction is that if insurance companies are paying out to you when your ship gets blown up, then strictly speaking, the insurance company should have right of salvage. That's going to do it for that particular DDF topic. Uh, let us know what you think. Drop us a line at info at laveradio.com or catch us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know if you agree with what's just been said. Okay, well, that's going to do it for that particular topic. Let's go straight into Community Corner. And the first part of Community Call this week is the interview with Commander Dan Grubb. Joining me in the station bar all the way from the hull system is a man who survived their spaceship being blown up, a station under siege, defeated an evil Imperial Senator, and crash-landed on a remote planet to survive by eating lizards. Oh, and somewhere in all of that, he managed to run a successful Kickstarter campaign. Welcome to Lay Radio, Mr. Dan Grubb, or should I call you Commander Dan Grubb? <laughs> Just Dan Grubb for now. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, congratulations, Commander Dan. Uh, a successful Kickstarter campaign, 361 backers, raising a grand total of £35,501 for a target of 34 Absolutely. So congratulations, mate. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. It's, it's so humbling, the support we got from such a small amount of backers for such a large amount of money too. It was a, a really hard really amazing and genuinely humbling and in- incredibly tiring experience but i wouldn't change a second of it it was amazing so thank you all out there who are listening who helped us out i mean i've just been looking back through my profile my kickstarter profile and i've backed 22 projects on uh, on kickstarter but i don't think i've ever seen a campaign run with as much um commitment or fun as the fantastic books project yeah. i mean we had uh, what do we have? We had daily updates delivered in character and costume, I add. Uh, community involvement ranging from professional audiobook teaser trailers, interviews, graphics, acting cameos. I mean, the list just goes on and on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it got, it got a little crazy, to be fair. But um, I think that I think I had to reflect the passion of the community and the, the passion that they were built <laughs> up me as well. So after a while, it, it just became kind of second nature. But my, my long-suffering wife, Gabby, did have to tear me away from the computer at 4 and 5 a.m. as I was chatting with <laughs> New Zealand community members and stuff. But, yeah, no, it was, it was really fun from start to end. It was very tiring, took a lot out of me, but it was very, very fun and completely worth it. Well, maybe we start there then, because obviously for us sort of seasoned elite veterans, we've, we've gone through the initial Elite Dangerous uh, Kickstarter campaign. We've gone through various Kickstarter campaigns. Why don't you tell us what was the journey like for you and also the, you know, the rest of the folks at Fantastic Books Publishing? Well, I was very lucky in that respect because, of course, we'd already okayed four of our, of our books. I mean, you know, we've got five now and we'll get onto that in a second. But we've, we, we'd already okayed four of the books and one of them was an anthology of 15 folks. So in total, we had 18 guys all elite veterans, all very passionate fans of the game, all very active on the forums. So, of course, they kind of led me. Of course, I dealt with the logistics of running the campaign, but without them, I would have just been a guy shouting on my own, to be fair. And uh, I can't thank them enough for their help. They were, they were so dedicated and so committed. All of them, meanwhile, holding down full-time jobs as well and families. And, you know, Chris Jarvis, for example, Little Eden's only four months old, you know. And it's, it was amazing, the commitment they showed. And it made my journey a, a, a wonderful experience. So I keep using the word humbling because I'm genuinely humbled by the help that we got from you guys, yourself included, Fozza. 
What about the rest of the team in the office? How did they react on a day-to-day basis? Was it uh, was it stressful at any point? Well, <laughs> definitely stressful. Definitely, I'd be lying if I said we didn't have stressful moments. Um, uh, a lot of those were were directly correlated to the slow times when we weren't getting a lot of backers, things like this. You know, oh God, what are we putting all this effort in for? But from speaking to the other guys, from speaking to the rest of the team, and of course from speaking to guys at Frontier Development as well about how it was all going and anything they could think of to improve the campaign, um, David Braben jumped straight in. He looked over the site we'd done and said, no, no, you need some much, much better looking artwork than that. Here's a huge, great pile of wonderful Frontier artwork and of course gave us everything to to put on the page and and make it look all official and everything. And that definitely helped. Um, And of course, the uh, wonderful Ashley, one, one of the uh, one of the guys on the forums uh, made made a lot of posts sticky as well, so suddenly our, our appearances on the boards became very, very big. And also the kick track team did wonderful stuff as well. So, yes, it was stressful at times, but blimey, was it worth it. Okay, so for the uninitiated, if there is such a thing I left out there, uh, what does that £35,501 get us then? Right, what it gets you is, uh, obviously we've got five uh, officially sanctioned Frontier Elite books coming out. They'll be coming out in ebook form, in paperback form, in hardback form, in special edition box set form, also downloadable and hard copy editions of the audiobooks. Now, these audiobooks are pretty special. They're not your standard straight read throughs. They're going to have, uh, they're gonna have Alan Stroud's music on them for starters. So we've got music that's been created specifically for these books. We're going to have access to the official Elite soundscape, so the in-game sounds will be the same sounds as you'll hear in our audiobooks. And also, we want to get some really, really top-notch actors on board. So, Fozza, would you like to hear a Lave Radio exclusive about our audiobooks? Well, without sounding too cheesy, Dan, I'm always up for a Lave Radio exclusive. (laughs) Excellent. In which case, I can now officially reveal that Drew Wagar's book, Elite Reclamation, will be read by Toby Longworth, who is a Doctor Who audio drama veteran and a Star Wars audio drama veteran and has recorded both. And he's jumped on board and he will be reading Elite Reclamation. What do you think of that? That's fantastic. Uh, now, Toby is someone that I have definitely heard of. Been a, a fan of audio stuff myself. Uh, I've actually listened to quite a lot of stuff that Toby's done and he's a fantastic uh, reader of audiobooks. So, Crikey, if that's if that's your opening gambit, I, I'm wondering where you go from there, to be honest, with your other one. We've got a few names in mind, but I think one exclusive will do for, for this show. <laughs> well, talking about exclusives, just going back to, to the books that you've got, uh, you had a, a last-minute edition coming in at the end of the Kickstarter campaign with Kate Russell's Mostly Harmless. How did that come about? Well, apparently Kate had been stalking the campaign for a few weeks, and of course, unbeknownst to either of us, we'd also been stalking Kate Russell as well, thinking, <laughs> when is a publisher going to snap her up? So it came to uh, she came on board with the campaign and started helping um, maybe, I think, a couple of weeks before the end. And uh, she snatched herself a box set and then started chatting away on the comments board, which became quite a nice community as well. We got over 4,000 comments on there, in, which isn't bad in 40 days, right? Um, so she, she came on board and suddenly I thought, well, you know what, why not just ask the question? And I asked the question thinking, chances are she's going, going her own route and I'd read all the stuff that she'd done on her blog and everything else. And lo and behold, she said she, it would be a pleasure to join our team. And therefore, the shape of all the box sets immediately changed, of course. And, uh, you know, the studio, the studio time for recordings became instantly squeezed. But to be honest, for all the pressures and everything that it's put on the project, given the fact that we can't change the, 
uh, the date for when these things are coming out because it's directly aligned with the beta release of the game. Um, I, it was an absolute pleasure to take her on, an absolute pleasure. I feel so privileged that she thinks enough of us to give us a chance. And uh, once we've seen her work now, and our editors have, have immediately fallen in love with Kate and her work, immediately. <laughs> so she's, a, she's an incredibly talented writer, and I can't wait to get her stuff out. Yeah, definitely. It's certainly one of the books that I backed, and it was one that I was really looking forward to. Okay, well, you said that the end of the campaign you know, was a bit of a, a brown trousers moment, knowing that you had to actually sort of sit down and get this stuff done now, yeah. and as you say, on a tight time frame. So you know, take us through what happens next. Well, um, that's, that, that's a big question, because there's, there's quite a lot that's happened next. Um, it's, let me see. I get to test my resolve while spinning more plates than you'd find in a <laughs> decent-sized cruise ship's galley. All the while coordinating actors, transport, hotels, printers, bookbinders, proofreaders, copy editors, and of course our dear authors, uh, all under the watchful eye of Frontier Development. So it's going to be quite a ride. As far as deadlines are concerned, we'll, we will be releasing the books in as many forms as are ready, hopefully all of them, alongside the beta release of Elite Dangerous. So if anyone at Frontier are listening and want to hold off for a week or two, that would really help with my blood pressure. <laughs> Yeah, you may say that, Dan, but you're not going to win any fans in the elite community by telling Frontier to actually de delay the launch of the game. That's a good point. <laughs> I was only kidding. Seriously, it's, it's a real privilege to be involved with this project so heavily, and I'm extremely passionate about it and extremely confident we will deliver within the time frame of the game release. Okay, so I mean, you've got a heck of a lot of content there, uh, Dan. So, I mean, uh, what are you trying to do? Are you going to prioritise, or is the, are you trying to you know, get all of that content out at the same time? Well, um, having our stuff available to the blind and partially sighted community at the same time as every other format is very important to me. In fact, that was the main impetus of me opening up our new division, Fantastic Books Audio. However, if there's going to be a week break between format releases, and that week break it means that the books are going to be as crisp and as perfect and to kind of phrase as fantastic as they can be, then I will, of course, delay the release a little. Uh, quality is my priority. It has to be, because we're not called Fantastic Books Publishing for nothing. No, I think that's fair enough. And I think you've already sort of staked a claim when you're talking about quality, when you're talking about Toby Longworth coming on board. So, I mean, the audiobooks really do sound very exciting. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the process of creating those for those people that you know, haven't been involved with uh, audio fiction before? I mean, how how the Kickstarter money is going to facilitate that? Right, well, the obviously the actors... Um, are because we want to go for high caliber actors, as you now know with the with the Toby exclusive, and they are quite expensive. And it's yeah. it's you know we have we have to pay these guys. We have to they expect to be moved around and fed and put in hotels and you know I I can't just sort of pitch a tent in the back of the studio guys' garden. I need to sort all this out. So that is quite a large chunk of the Kickstarter money. However. We did the maths and we decided to look into hiring studio time, of course. Now, studio time, especially with studio techs, can, be, can run into hundreds of pounds per hour. Now, when you're releasing five books um, and at least one of them is going to be a full dramatization, that's, that's Alan Stroud's Lave Revolution, uh, you have to think about these things seriously. And we would have had to have asked for about £125,000 to get this done. However, we're building a studio. We're building a studio for our very own Chris Jarvis, no less. Ah, oh, fantastic news. So uh, you know, Chris Jarvis, the creator of Escape Velocity, is actually getting a permanent gig out of all this. He certainly is, yes. And he's going to be our go-to guy for not only the elite audiobooks, but all of our audiobooks in the future as well. Now, obviously, when we're creating 16 a week and we're using the best actors <laughs> in Hollywood, then Chris might have his you know, work cut out and we'll have to hire some other guys. But for now, our go-to guy is going to be the wonderful Commander Thane or Chris Jarvis. 
Well, that's great news. I mean, people can go out there and they can listen to Escape Velocity. They know the sort of quality that Chris can produce on a shoestring budget. So to have a strong budget behind him and have all of the, you know, the latest technology at his disposal, I think it's going to be amazing what he's going to be able to produce. So that's also great news. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. A talent like Chris, especially on the sound engineering and acting department, of course, but, but from our interested uh, position at the moment, it's about the sound engineering. And for to create the sort of stuff he's done on a shoestring, as you mentioned, is absolutely incredible. And if we can kit him out, he deserves to be kitted out with stuff. The amount of hard work he's put in just getting Escape Velocity out there. One, I can't believe he hasn't already had a sponsor come on board and say, look, here's a few grand, sort yourself out. But the second thing is, I can't believe that Escape Velocity isn't an official elite um, audio drama yet. So maybe that's something we can look to, look to in the future as well, potentially off the back of this uh, five-book elite release. Well, I think that's a long conversation you, Chris, and uh, Frontier Development are going to have to have. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I think that certainly the fans of the Escape Velocity series would love to see that be made part of canon. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. Okay, well, we're going to quickly wrap this up, but is there anything else you want to mention? Well, I'd, I'd just like to take this opportunity to everyone who's listening to just send out a huge thank you to everyone who is involved with the Kickstarter. It's a huge community project, and we couldn't have done it without each and every one of your help. So a massive thanks to everyone, especially my dear authors who all worked so hard during the campaign, and a special mention to my beautiful wife, Gabby, who supported me throughout the tough times and gave me the motivation to succeed. Bottom line, I am so humbled by the support from both the elite community and the science fiction community out there. And for any of you who are listening to this and who helped, pat yourselves on the back. I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. Now, a very, very special thank you must go out as well to Grant Wolcott, to Psycho County Madcow, to Agent P, to Susan Boyles. This single man has put in more content has has got the community going, has has leapt around on the forums as though he was all four men at once. And of course, his hardworking and no doubt long-suffering wife's, wife Susie, uh, a great big shout out to both of you. You are both amazing. Thank you. Great stuff. Well, we will, of course, be checking back with you at regular intervals to see how you're getting on uh, between now and the launch. But just for the moment, Dan, thanks very much for stopping by and good luck with it all. Thank you. Cheers for having me. Arriving at Central Village, command level. Please mind the gap. I guess even if the rest of the station is on holiday, the station commander never gets the day off. What? Oh, hey, Foz. Holiday? What holiday? No chance of one of those. Turns out I have a fleet of Imperial ships heading to the station. There's some pompous blowhard on board demanding a full ceremonial. I tell you, in future I'm thinking of banning all ships arriving from the prism system. Bit of a big deal then. He thinks he is. Look, I'll leave you to it, mate. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Foss. Okay, well, that was certainly a surprise for me. I think that probably came across on the interview. But Chris, as I said in the introduction, you are going to be one hell of a busy boy over the next six weeks. Yeah, I am. It's going to be uh, more longer, certainly longer than six weeks. I mean, it's um, going to be a huge thing. And it's just, it's fantastic to be able to do it. Yeah, and uh, Dan mentioned in that interview uh, about Toby Longworth coming. I mean, that's just a, that's just a huge thing. You couldn't ask for uh, a, a better audio performer. No, absolutely. I mean, just uh, yeah. after that interview, I went away and had a look at some of the stuff that he did. I mean, really bizarre things, like he was actually in uh, Star Wars Episode One, believe it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And he's in, and you know, you look at some of his, I mean, there's audio stuff that I've got. And then I, you know, I was sort of looking at various things that he'd done. And I thought, well, you know, wow, that was him as well. And, and that was him as well. And you just kind of think, 
you know, the guy has such a range and he has such an ability to be creative and do interesting things with his voice. At the, at the end of the day, if you want someone that's going to be able to give you a, a huge range of, of brilliantly creative takes on, on different stuff that you're doing, Toby Longworth is always going to be top of your list. Uh, I mean, he's just such a fantastic performer and the ability to be able to work with him on these audio books is, is, is amazing. So what exactly needs to happen? Where are you currently sitting with it, mate? Is the studio up and running and ready to go? (laughs) Yeah, the studio is not quite up and running and ready to go. Essentially, we're doing a bit of a conversion. And the the, the biggest problem really is the timescales involved, because obviously we want to get these done. And we want to, you know, we're we're, we're sort of aiming for the, the, the deadlines that were promised in the Kickstarter. But that is, you know, it is tight. And with the addition of uh, Kate Russell's book on board as well, which is absolutely amazing, that obviously just adds <laughs> to the number of things that we're producing um, in, in in a very short time scale. So, I mean, I think you know these these are these, these are targets that we are aiming for and that we want to hit. But as Dan said himself, I mean, the quality has to be has to come first. We don't want to rush something out for the sake of meeting a date, you know, that we've previously said we'd do. You know, we want we want these to be to, to be absolutely brilliant. No, I couldn't agree with that more, mate. Uh, and from the sounds of it, so Dan was mentioning that you've actually had quite a lot of help or certainly assistance and support from uh, from the Frontier Developments crew as well in terms of getting their sound bank and uh, their help with the graphics and everything else with the Kickstarter. Yeah, and that's going to be great. I mean, with um, if you know you listen to something like Escape Velocity, and obviously when I started Escape Velocity, I didn't even really know you know even what the game would sound like in theory so i didn't even have kind of sounds that i was trying to recreate now to actually be able to go into these audio books with the sound effects that are going to be going into the game it's just, it's just going to it's going to sound brilliant it's going to sound like you're you know you're listening to characters within the game world that you're familiar with and that's that's you know and and massive massive thanks to frontier development for making that available because it's a huge amount of their resources that they're kind of you know making available to effectively a third party because even though i mean remember that even though these books are officially licensed it's really the goodwill in some respects of frontier that's bought into these books so much because really the book production and the audiobook production is a third party it's outside of what frontier are doing with the game so for them to be so supportive and to, to make so much of this stuff available so that these books are as good as they can be just you know just demonstrates Frontier Development's commitment to making the whole Elite experience incomparable to any other game experience. I mean, they believe in this game and they want everything about this game uh, to be fantastic, including including the books and the audio. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. I think they're going to be absolutely stupendous, mate. Uh, Alan, you're also working on these. You're doing the music for them. How's that coming along? The way Chris and I work is that Chris will will do uh, some drafts of uh, you know a cut edit with the ideas of the bits and pieces that he wants. And he gets an idea of which section that uh, he thinks will need music, gives me something to listen to, and then I go away and I put something in uh, in terms of what's there. So saying how's that coming along kind of is a bit of a misnomer, if you see what I mean, because, of course, I'm waiting you know, until we've got some, uh, some idea of, of how these things are going to shape. Um, that said, I've done a little bit of concept work. Um, there was a short piece produced for the audio uh, Kickstarter just to just to show people what kind of thing I could do in terms of switching styles because I really wanted to kind of show that you know I can do classical as well as uh, um, you know the the sort of synth stuff that's done for uh, for Labour Revolution. So yeah, so it was a short piece done that ostensibly is going to be for Drew's work. I've looked at a couple of other pieces 
to give the other books a, a little bit of a, a theme and a style. And also, Chris has been working with Michael Brooks on uh, his short audio drama, Forced Entry, where um, we looked at another style again, uh, where we were looking at horror. So uh, again, I, I, I did some incidental pieces uh, for, for that, which, which gave a, a very different sort of take on what's there. So really, you know, my job is kind of to give Chris as much choice as possible when he gets to the stage and he wants music to create more atmosphere. So, you know, really all I've, I've kind of got to do is kind of hang on until we've got some bits and pieces together. And then I disappear up to the loft and go and, you know, write a couple of pieces and Chris can choose which one he wants. In terms of the, the sort of the anthemic elements, I think what's going to be nice here is, is, you know, Frontier have said that we can make use of the work that Erasmus is going to do for the game. So the theme the you know the thematic elements that that sort of fit it with the game that's going to come from there so i i really don't have to to look at that kind of anthemic quality beyond my own work um we can kind of work things out from uh, from that you know then in terms of what incidental music and mood music and you know emotional quality music that chris needs okay so chris while taking off your your audio producer hat and putting on your elite anthology hats what's been going on in the writers forum guys well, we've started getting uh, the feedback back from Fantastic Books uh, editors. I've personally not had mine yet, but I know a number of the writers have had comments back. And I think the general feeling is people are very happy to be getting sort of professional, constructive advice on their writing. I don't know how people, you know, really genuinely feel about it emotionally when they're on the, on, you know, in their own space. But I think everybody really in their heart of hearts appreciates really good qualified feedback on your writing because it's all about how you can make your story better um and i can say this quite cheerfully because as i say i haven't received my edits yet so um, but in, you know in general these are people that want your story to be the best it can be so to get somebody coming back and giving you that feedback is for me it's always positive i've, I've laid stuff before uh, mr stroud before uh, and been prepared to you know take on the chin what he has to say to me about it and it's always about about making the story better so that's that's the stage certainly the anthology writers are at well we'll obviously keep uh, keep people updated with how those edits are coming along and the progress in the writers forum okay well leaving the writers section there for the time being let's go on to the uh, questions from the community the facebook and twitter questions that have been coming in as we've been recording uh, starting off with uh, Phil, Phil Pentox, who's asking about salvaging, basically, what are our thoughts? You know, are there any pros and cons that we can think of, especially interested in what Alan Stroud thinks of it in reference to elite canon? Mr. Stroud? Uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of field it as I can. Um, I guess what Phil's point is, is that, you know, the fuel scoop always used to kind of do both jobs didn't it used to you know scoop fuel used to find ways to mine and you also could uh, could salvage stuff so yeah so okay well in reference to the physical equipment i guess that you know it has a, a similarity to the way in which elite was set up in that you had one device that basically scooped fuel that partnered with a mining laser to pick up you know sort of fragments of minerals when you blow up asteroids and also um scooped up salvage now in terms of you know, sort of the the historical canon and the other bits and pieces uh, within the game, I'm not quite sure how it fits in with canon. I don't know. Um, you know, what, what do you think Phil's asking about, guys? Well, the only thing I can think of is in something like in the original Dark Wheel novel. Doesn't he? Doesn't the main character originally get his ship by kind of stealing it from like a sort of elephant's graveyard of floating junk ships? 
Oh yeah, so he does. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, um, obviously, but that's obviously that's obviously not something that fits in with the way this proposal is necessarily being suggested because this proposal seems to be saying that if you come across a ship husk, effectively you can carve bits off it for the kind of raw materials. But there doesn't seem to be any suggestion of being able to salvage abandoned ships. Yeah, I think I think that's probably a little bit of a shame then, but at the same time, you know, we have had the discussions about walking around inside spaceships and other bits and pieces later on in expansion. So I would assume that that kind of content was always going to come about in expansion anyway. I can't really see you being able to parachute yourself straight into a an abandoned ship in the um you know in the initial release. I would say that you know one of the most iconic scenes in in the Dark World, despite the fact that I obviously forgot it, um, <laughs> was the recovery of the Cobra. And actually, you know, quite a lot of writers have you know have talked about the ways in which they uh, you know they're sort of looking at elements of uh, of that particular story, and and you know and using some of those elements in you know sort of different ways in which they've written. Dave and I have have, have lobbied long and hard to try and get the the graveyard in the existing game. So, you know, I mean, we'll kind of see whether, whether that comes about or anything else. But of course, if you're going to have a graveyard in the game, you're kind of thinking about what you can raid from the graveyard, aren't you? So yeah, no, I, I can kind of see a little bit of what Phil says, but at the same time, if it's, if you bring the graveyard into the game and everything in there is kind of raidable, it's not going to be much of a graveyard for very long, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but there is the old thing as well, isn't there? I mean, Alan, you'll appreciate this from the kind of role-playing stuff in the sense that, there's something not very romantic about the idea that a hero's sword is a sword that he purchased in a weapons shop from a market. You know, every, every hero has always got his father's sword kind of thing. And in the same way in kind of elite, if you're trying to craft your life as a, you know, as, a, as an intergalactic sort of, you know, character, the idea that your, your ship, the focus of your identity, is bought from some slick-haired dealer in the um you know in the read court system i don't know that seems uh, <laughs> that seems well, a bit of a shame i'll 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 give away a little bit of a spoiler it's a really tiny one and foz foz can close his ears i have a scene in Labor revolution where there is an individual who so hated the regime on lave he died and he bequeathed his python to a graveyard with the instruction that it would be stolen or redeemed from that graveyard and brought into action should there be ever any time that the, the regime on Lave was going to be overthrown. And so basically that Python, um, and I think if I remember rightly, I can't quite remember how I wrote the scene, I think I had his, his skeleton still strapped to the front of it. <laughs> that Python was effectively then, you know, sort of um, got out of this graveyard and then taken to be used in the middle of this, uh, you know, this, this terrorist activity because this guy had left it in his legacy that, you know, that that's what his descendants had to do. Um, that kind of thing, you know, it's romantic, isn't it? So you kind of want to have some sort of opportunity for that kind of stuff. Well, it was mentioned actually in the proposal in terms of, yeah, when we were talking about jurisdiction, that there should be certain places where, you know, there should be sort of no salvaging allowed. And we're talking like sort of tourist spots and things like that, or places of cultural interest. So, you know, the Teenage Graveyard would definitely fall into that category. Maybe you can just do a blanket no salvage and have it patrolled by vipers, you know? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, we should also, you know, indicate that obviously no, um, no cleaning up in Slough too. <laughs> yes happy new year miss uh, miss russell um let's leave that there before we get ourselves into trouble and move on to uh i'm sorry i'm going to butcher your name quite badly here but let's move on to a jurian wittenberg who uh, who writes and asks whether or not we have any thoughts on the the direction of owning multiple ships you know how do we see it happening what the pros and cons of having multiple ships 
You know, what's the possibility of having hangers, waiting times for ships to be delivered to your doorstep by courier service, etc., etc. I'm not sure if Durian's been listening to the, the various sort of previous episodes, but this is something that we've covered uh, when it was first announced in the, the DDF, and we went into it in quite a lot of detail. John, can you remember what episode that was? <laughs> what a rubbish way to hand over to me. No, of course I can't remember what episode it was. I, I remember I had a cold. So, you know, when you start listening, if you if it sounds like I've got a really thick cold and, and possibly it might have been the one that John Harper was on. So, you know, when he was in his car, which oh, was right. really weird. Um, <laughs> but just going back to what um, what Chris said, you know, what are our thoughts on it um, with the multiple ship ownership? You know, it was something that never happened in the old games, really. You know, you, it was and, and I guess it's been reiterated by David Braben, you know, it's a, it is about you in, in a ship. But I, I think that uh, Frontier have had to bow to a bit of pressure from, you know, the modern gamer, the um, the achievements whore. People like to collect stuff in games these days. It, it's the thing that to be done. And so it's only natural that people want to have more than one ship so that they can, you know, if they want to go and do something a bit different, the, then they can swap out their big ship for a fighter or whatever. So I, I think it's a sign of the times, but at the same time, I think it makes the game more accessible to a different generation of gamer. Okay, well, I mean, from uh, a quick glancing over our previous episodes, if you wanted to try and uh, have a lucky dip, we think it's around about episode five that we talked about that. So if you jump into the uh, back catalogue around about episode five, it should be one one episode around about that area. So Durian also asks, as we've also been doing the videos, he asks, uh, how do you recommend measuring the frames per second of the alpha? He's currently using Fraps. Um, but with what settings and resolutions uh, to make it the best comparison between the various different systems that you're running it on? John? Um, Yeah, because obviously I put together the the Google Doc of different system specs for people to contribute to. I think all of these different uh, pieces of software that that show the FPS, they all do it in in, in the same way, which involves hooking into the DirectX API um, and and just kind of displaying it as an overlay. Um, There is a tiny amount of a performance impact involved in that, but there's not much. And as far as the different ones go, I mean, I've only tried a couple myself and I haven't seen any kind of difference between them. They all seem to do it the same way. So I'm assuming that um, there's not really a standout one to pick, really. Uh, Fraps seems to be fine for me. Doesn't Fraps give you a little, um, drop a little text file in? Ask, after you ask it to stop measuring frames, doesn't it provide a little text document report of things like your average frame rate and that sort of thing, and your highs and your lows? Yeah, yeah, it can do that. There, there, there is a kind of benchmarking facility to it, although I've never used it. I can't say whether it's part of the free version of Fraps or whether it's something that you've got to pay for. Well, I have I have a paid version of Fraps, and uh, that gives me a report. I don't use it with recording from uh, Elite Dangerous Alpha because you know, I've got the uh, uh, the recording box. So you know, the the actually, I, I would guess that the quality of stuff, you know, because I've recorded Space Engine and other things from Fraps, but um, I think my my main PC just didn't get on with Fraps particularly well. So, um, you know, I use the recording box and um, that that seems to work particularly well. But, you know, I don't think that really gives me a frame rate unless, uh, you know, because I haven't really looked. Um, I don't know if it does, John. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. Jarvis, I thought you were leaving the station yesterday. 
I was meant to. I got a memo from Frontier Incorporated, one of the big holovid makers. They've released the latest edition of Alpha Elite. But there hasn't been an Elite Holo in decades. I know. Once these fanboys heard about it, they demanded I open the gaming lounge and are refusing to leave. The vending machine has stopped working, and unless they get some real Raider Aid soon, I think it'll get ugly. No worries, mate. I'll get right to it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Foz. Would you like three or Raider Aid? Ra 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 hmm. Uh-oh. Hey, what in the name of space are you doing? Who pulled the plug? I just killed the anaconda. The anaconda! Over there! The repair guy did it! Uh, what now? Get him! Medical teams to the gaming lounge. Medical teams to the gaming lounge. Attention. Attention. Merry Christmas, Lave Station. Merry Christmas, Lave Station. Okay, well, this one probably goes back to you as well, Alan. Uh, Robin Bilton asks, yeah, any news on when the Boot Camp Mac Guide will be made? Uh, yeah, okay. So what we'll do is we'll put that together. John and I will probably uh, uh, get together and do that, and we'll we'll try and put it together by the end of the month. Um, it's pretty straightforward, so hopefully it'll be there for, for people who are looking at beta test. You know, it, it shouldn't be too difficult. So, yeah. Okay, and his follow-up question was, uh, as we've discussed controllers in the last episode, have any of you tried a PlayStation 3 controller with the game or even the original Xbox controller uh, as he's just trying to keep the costs down? Well, I certainly haven't tried the original Xbox controller. I can tell you that the uh, the Xbox 360 controller uh, works quite happily under Windows and that uh, is actually the way that I'm playing the Alpha at the moment. Uh, I have a PlayStation 3 controller which I haven't tried with the game, but actually that's pretty good under Windows. It's pretty compatible and with the way that the game, with the way that the alpha actually allows you to map your keys, uh, as long as you're prepared to put the effort in, I can't see there being any problem with uh, using a PlayStation 3 controller uh, with the alpha if you wanted to. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, PlayStation 4 currently not working particularly well under Windows, so maybe that's something for the future. Uh, one thing I will add to that is, um, just so people know, there's no native driver for the PS3 controller, whether it's on USB or Bluetooth. Um, you need to download a third-party piece of software. Yeah, and that third-party piece of software is called Motion Joy, is it? I think it's Motion Enjoy. Is it? Well done. Something weird like that. It's on my uh, my, my desktop. Yeah, at least it it's, should be. it's a pretty ugly piece of software. I hate to say. It is, but it does it's, the it job. It does the job, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's Motion yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, Motion Enjoy. So if you just put into Google uh, PlayStation Three on uh, PC, you should get all the uh, all the information you need to get it running. And then, as I say, the alpha itself is actually pretty. Uh, customizable in terms of key mapping so it should work uh, but I can't say I've tried it. Okay and the final question this week comes in from John Virgo he asks our opinion on what we think will be released in each of the different phases of the development cycle so the alpha, the beta and then uh, obviously the gamma so Chris start us off with that I think it's probably a popular choice on the forums, but I'd, I'd have to say it's got to be either space station docking 
has got a feature, um, or possibly mining. I'm just trying to think, because you know, what they're trying to get a feel for is the, the sort of immediacy of the controls and player feedback for the sort of action sequences. I don't think we'll see much alpha testing for any of the trading stuff, because on a design level, you kind of know how trading works. I think it's the stuff that is quite new and quite specific, like they've talked about mining being a mini-game, and, and also, you know, the, the hugely important docking mechanic. I'd be very surprised if we don't see one of those two. John? Yeah, I, I think it's just going to be, the next one's going to be an incremental build. They'll just fix the bugs and add some fluffy dice. <laughs> so what, we've had Lost Winds, we've had a Christmas tree, and you reckon that the next uh, the next dashboard attachment's going to be a pair of fluffy dice? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just trying to keep everyone's expectations low. <laughs> or an, an Easter bunny with a remlock. <laughs> and finally, Mr. Strad, what's your opinion? We've got a, a development cycle, obviously, that Frontier are you know, very careful in terms of how they're going to set this going forwards. And they've talked about alpha, beta, and gamma. It's my thought that actually, once we go through the mission combat system, it's already been said a couple of times on the forums where people have requested the idea of the beta testers being able to get hold of the alpha, as it were. Now, my thought is actually Frontier may decide to, um, once they feel that the combat test is effectively done for, you know, for, for sort of primary feedback and is robust, they may then pass that out to the beta and then move the alpha guys onto something else. Because, of course, that's an effective use of everybody that's there. And it kind of caters for all the, the sort of all oh, please, please, you know, I'm desperate to get this, you know, as, as quickly as I can. And that way they can kind of fulfill some of these time schedules that they discussed in the first place. That said, we do need to know that the, the, the primary focus here is getting the alpha right and then getting the whole game right. So I think all of us don't want to get too uh, frustrated, too sort of demanding, as it were, in terms of how this cycle moves forwards. And I know Karash isn't being like that because obviously Karash is, you know, one of our chief people looking at the testing and, uh, and streaming uh, uh, the alpha test as it goes. I'd say, you know, he's probably got to start thinking about how he's going to be piloting uh, in, in multiplayer, because I think that's obviously something that's going to come up at some point, you know, and you really do have to test that in a, you know, an alpha context, you know, to, to get an idea of how players are going to interact with each other in the flight model. And then there's, you know, a whole plethora of things, trading, you know, uh, hyperspace jumping, all the rest of it. So plenty to go. Leave, let's leave the, the questions from social media there for the time being and move on to the question that I get asked a heck of a lot on the forums, in Skype, and on various other modes of uh, communication. And that is, when is LaveCon 2014 going to occur? Here's the plan, and I'll be as, as upfront as I possibly can. I got approached by a friend who I've known for a number of years about the possibility of hosting a convention related to costume making in the Midlands. Uh, I'm going back and having a chat with that friend now that Christmas is out of the way, and hopefully going to drag... Chris and Foz along to go and recce a potential site. Once we've had a look at that potential site, we can start looking at the scope of what we want to do for a convention. Ultimately, what I want to do for a convention is I'd like to have a massive, massive convention with Elite at the very centre of it. And I'd like to, you know, to involve all sorts of different hobbies in science fiction and fantasy at that convention. And I'd like it to be, you know, a real hub of creative people. So people who are potential writers, people who are potential game designers, people who are potential uh, role-playing game you know, enthusiasts, and people who you know, just want to come along and, and soak it all up and find out all about all the, the great things that would be going on there. You know, I want to provide something that's, that's really cool and really sort of widespread and diverse that could be like that. But at the same time, what I don't want to provide is a weekend that is let's kill Alan with the amount of stress in terms of organizing something so huge 
from nothing. So what I'm going to do is go along to uh, to the site, have a, a bit of a look at it, and then start talking to a few friends who are costume makers and who are um, game designers and who are uh, you know, writers and other things, and see who wants to kind of go along and be part of something that could be really, really huge, that really celebrates the idea of, of creating science fiction and fantasy things in, in Britain. And, um, and yeah, and just see where that goes. And if that conversation goes well, then we end up with something massive. If that conversation goes badly, then we end up with the four of us in a hotel playing a board game. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. It's certainly not a bad thing. I'm quite happy to provide the board game. It's slightly different from last year's live concert. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're kind of last year. We went into last year's live con with with low expectations, and I think that was a good thing to go in. Um, you know, and and we were stunned by the response of people wanting to come and meet us and to to talk about the game, and it was great. You know, having all those people there, and I had a lovely evening. What I don't want to do is go into this with high expectations and then not deliver on them. So, you know, it needs to evolve organically and you know, for it not to be, and I wouldn't want anybody, you know, I, I, when I used to run events, we used to say the heroes have to be the players. You don't want anybody kind of driving themselves into a ground, but into the ground behind the scenes. At the end of the day, we kind of want, if we're going to make something like a convention work, that's, that's big and lasting, then what we want is we want everybody to be coming for the fun of it and to be doing a bit of work and a bit of stuff on it to, you know, to kind of make it happen and, and run really well. What you don't want is anybody kind of sitting there and you know and, and sort of driving themselves through the floor to uh to try and make it work so it's got to be fun first thing it's got to be fun you know and then hopefully people will come and it'll be really good have we got any uh idea around about dates on that one yeah we're looking at um roughly the same time as last year so i would say end of july or you know sort of middle end of july uh reason for that is it's good in terms of the academic year for me so that's kind of when uh when we're kind of angling for great stuff okay well uh, a few other things that we've got going on in the community uh, this week uh, obviously it's the new year everybody loves to start the new year with a new year's resolution to get fit get healthy and in the elite community we've got uh, a new group that's just been set up in the off topic forum which is the elite fitness group and this is a group of uh, uh, community members that have banded together to provide support and motivation for each other as they try and lose some pounds before the game elite dangerous actually gets released so if you're up for joining there either just to motivate or share recipes and do all of that wonderful stuff just jump onto the forums and it's in the elite fitness group topic which is in the off topic section of the forum also just another shout out i know we did it a couple of weeks ago but for the elite dangerous grand theft auto crew i'm sure chris jarvis isn't the only person to get a copy of grand theft auto for christmas so if you have just picked up a, a copy of Grand Theft Auto and you want to play it during the times when you're not playing the Alpha or Beta, then uh, just head over to Skype and add Fozzle 101 and I'll get you into the game from there. And of course, we've got to mention the uh, the Twitch TV. Obviously, Koresh uh, has got his channel, Koresh Landing. If you head over to tinyurl.com forward slash Koresh, which is K-E-R-R-A-S-H to see his live streaming of the Alpha and also the official Elite Dangerous channel which is twitch.tv forward slash Elite Dangerous. Okay, well, that's going to leave us on to the final section of the podcast, that of feedback and shout-outs. Uh, just a couple of uh, quick shout-outs for iTunes reviews. A big thank you to uh, LinkDNA, who has uh, altered his review, and uh, thanks us for mentioning Jumpgate in a previous episode. I, spit, I can't remember which episode that was, but uh, you're more than welcome. 
And also Tim29990, who also left us a review on iTunes. So thank you guys for that. Uh, obviously now available is Forced Entry, which is the um, short audio drama that we've got based on a short story by Michael Brooks. Um, it's going down very well. So, you know, join in, go, buy, download. Um, and that's obviously at uh, radiotheaterworkshop.com. Before everybody groans at me that I have got a shout out for uh, a Kickstarter campaign. I know we've probably had enough Kickstarter campaigns to last us a lifetime. Uh, but this one is actually not Elite uh, related. This one's called Dust Cloud. And the concept is it's a, a combination of sort of geocaching and laser tag. Uh, what they're doing is they're trying to get this concept where you have a Bluetooth gun uh, that syncs to your phone that sort of links your geolocation. And uh, the idea is to have a massive sort of community sort of war game. So you can be walking down the streets, you can see somebody else flash up on your phone uh, that also has a dust gun, and you basically pull it out and shoot them, which is quite cool in its own right. But uh, for me, it's uh, it's more about what we can do at things like LaveCon. Uh, if everybody have, uh, has some of these things, uh, then we can have massive sort of imperial versus federal versus independent uh, battles along the conference center so there's a few people in the elite community who have got on board with that if you want to check it out you can it's tinyurl.com forward slash elite dusted d-u-s-t-e-d and let's be honest if you're going to have a misunderstanding with armed police this game looks like the most fun way to do it <laughs> yeah they've got some interesting videos up there on their kickstart as well so yeah head over there have a look at it uh, it looks like it could be a lot of fun and then for those people that are old enough to remember the old the games of laser tag, uh, I think this is just the, the modern version of that, which looks awesome. Okay, well, that's going to do it for another show. If you'd like to contact us, you can at info at laveradio.com, uh, at laveradio on Twitter, Facebook forward slash laveradio. If you'd like to call us on Skype and leave us a voice message, you can at lave.radio. If you'd like to take part in Retro Lave or the Conclave or join the GTA crew or Elite Fitness Group, then just add Fozzer 101 to your Skype contacts. That's it for another episode. We'll see you next time. Is your life like this? Sounds like someone having an orange inserted. I'm going to see the galaxy. Two seconds, I'll be right back.